Welcome to Soul Forum. I'm Dan Center. And I'm April Bell. And together we co-host a series of conversations and reflections that explore the unfolding search for that sense of soul. The way folks from all walks of life stumble into or construct or give shape to what they describe as their most authentic self or their spiritual sense of things or their own wisdom path. What I really love about this introductory series that we call In Search of Soul is the diverse ways in which the folks we interview describe how they awaken to all of this in their own lives. From the college student to the 87-year-old environmental activist, married couples, those in mid-career, every story and reflection opens up some new window in how we might all find our way into an experience of our own individual or collective soul. Episodes include my reflections on the conversations that integrate insights from poets and theologians, philosophers, and even my 35 years of experience working with all sorts of folks in search of a worthy spiritual path. And I am honored as the founder of a storytelling and wisdom keeping project to spend time with each of them to allow their life story to help give you a sense of how every moment of life can draw you into your own sense of soul. Soul. It's that integrative force that so many experience as a guiding principle or an orienting force in their lives. So give yourself a moment to journey a little deeper into the human experience. Welcome to Soul Forum. Today I want to start off a little bit with an admission and then journey our way into something that I often dismiss. And for those of you who know me well, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about or even um, developing kind of uh, the rich sense of tradition or even uh, uh, rituals that are grounded in past experience. Even though, like many of you, many of my formative years, and maybe you have the same experience, Many of my formative years were built on attending and participating in collective traditions or rituals that I inherited and I was being um, uh, brought up in. Uh, My parents would bring me to uh, church every Sunday. Uh, They would sing in the choirs, and so I was involved in that, uh, in singing groups, um, summer camps, you know, over and over again. There were all these rituals and experiences that Uh, were there to enhance my spiritual journey. And you probably grew up with a lot of those rituals too. Uh, One of my fondest memories, in fact, was, um, I've got many of them, but one of them was uh, standing next to my dad when I was finally able to sing the bass line of the Messiah, of Handel's Messiah. And it was a community Messiah sing. And I will tell you that I'm not a great singer, I was doing my best to try to follow my dad, but my dad could nail every note and the I could feel him as he sang. And then across the room, because we were separated by parts, right, was my mother. I think she was even in the alto or the soprano section. And uh, and she was singing too. And this, this capacity to sing every year Handel's Messiah collectively, right, and standing next to my father, thinking that I would grow up and every year I would gather together and sing this song too. Uh, You know, it was part of my experience growing up. So I know what that's like. Um, There are special moments. Uh, 
But I am somebody, and uh, you, maybe you're a little bit like this too, who knows, we're all over the map on this, but um, for me, the real experience of, of developing my sense of my own soul and my own uh, inner capacity to connect with universe or the sacred or the divine or the holy or with you, uh, typically for me, as we like to say, is to enter into an experience that simply just blows my mind and breaks down my body. So it's got to have a physiological side, a kinesthetic side, and it's got to have something that just pops my head and I think, oh my God, I, I just never even thought of it that way before, right? So I'll give you two examples. I used to attend every year uh, a thing called the Westar Institute in Santa Rosa. It was a gathering of scholars from around the world and they would look at different aspects of uh, religious life, uh, Christianity, other religions, the scriptures, but predominantly they were an, an analysis of the gospels and some focus in on kind of the historical Jesus and that sort of stuff. And every time I would go, there would be some scholar that I would listen to in this three-day setting that would just absolutely uh, blow my mind. I mean, I, 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 I was so messed up. <laughs> after listening to them that this was the greatest experience of all and then I would drag other clergy with me and try to blow their minds too and then sit in the in the hotel room afterwards or over a cocktail and try to figure it out I mean it was just I loved it and at the same time I would always bring my tennis racket and uh, it was at the Flamingo Hotel in Santa Rosa and I would um, there was a tennis club right next door so I would work with a tennis um, coach or uh, whoever was there right and try to work on my tennis game. And so I would just be physically exhausted and my mind would be blown. And for me, that experience uh, opens up something inside of me, right? A new, a new channel, a new possibility, a new capacity. Um, I can feel it in my bones. You know, my body is worn and I'm exhausted, but I've given my all there. My mind is buzzing around. That's really kind of the experience I go for. And I literally have tried to replicate that in my um, role as a, as a spiritual guide, if you will, in a religious community uh, for most of my career. But this week, I met with a couple that just reminded me again, and, and my guess is that this is normative for a lot of people. It reminded me again of how powerful uh, the repetition of ritual or the uh, kind of the, the heartbeat of traditions that you enter into either weekly or, or seasonally or annually, that these, these places are also uh, doorways into which people can examine, explore, and experience some other way of being in the world. And, and while it doesn't um, and I'm the same way, right? It doesn't always craft some sort of uh, clear path forward. It does provide this opening, this opening. And we've talked about that, right? This a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this capacity to just simply listen, right? Being available to listen is a way to enhance a spiritual life. And in some ways, these rituals or these traditions uh, provide this capacity. So I met with a couple this last week. Um, I happened to arrive on her birthday. She just turned 87. And uh, so I was excited to talk to her because she 
is someone I've known for a long time, and she has uh, been through a lot with me and my journey, and I know that um, she has grown along the way, but I wasn't quite sure where she landed when it came to her own, um, her own caretaking of her spiritual journey. I met with Bob and Joan on their outdoor deck, you know, thanks to COVID. Here's Joan's way in which she unpacks the kind of relationship to ritual that binds her to something bigger or greater or the wider story of life. Well, <clears throat> mid-twenties, I would say, first of all, I was raised in Episcopalian in my heart. Still Episcopalian. Oh, your heart's still Episcopalian. It's in many ways, yeah. I, I kind of like the, I, I might chafe against the reality of some of the things, but I love the ritual, mm. and um, I could slip into an Episcopal church and be right with them, you know. In yeah. the, and. Uh, do you know why, if you think back to why, why is Episcopalian ritual so embedded in your DNA now? What was it? Because they took it away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because it's gone, you know. It, uh, but I, I, I loved the the traditions. The mm. I, I love the tradition of of communion. But when I look at the reality of what we're doing, I there's there's a a distancing, you know. Am I just going through a, a tradition? And yet, on the flip side, I think in this country we've lost a lot of traditions, and I I think cultures, nations, families need traditions. Yeah. What do you find inside the traditions that, is it the, I'm trying to figure out what is the, like the orienting piece inside tradition that when you're involved in it, connects in some way to you or connects you to others or what, is there, is there a connection that happens? Is there a, is a it, an open space that happens? Where, describe the landscape around that so people understand why is, why is someone so hungry for tradition like that or ritual like that? Hmm. I think it hawks back to my mother and my mother's feelings and my mother's traditions. By the way, my mother was an Episcopalian. It's hawking back to that. It's yeah. touching feel with that. So you, like it grounds you into your relationship with mother and her, all her legacy mm, and her right. feelings when she was there. Right. That's interesting. Uh, I'm not thinking that the body and blood is bread and wine. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I'm not into any of that. It's going through the the paces, the, you know. And the ritual itself, me entering into that ritual, slowly getting lost in that ritual connects me to the more. For her, it connected her even to her mother and the traditions her mother shared with her. She's 
like linked to past and and living in the fullness of present in this act of communion that ritual she went on to share that that ritual for her was a key piece to uh, dealing with some conflicts that was going on in the local congregation that she was serving as president and that that ritual even though there was uh, a lot of polarized energy on either side of a massive conflict that the congregation was experiencing that ritual allowed everyone to enter in to a different kind of space and be present for one another in a different kind of way. And that's what ritual can do. Well, Joan clearly longed to link her spirituality to some rich sense of tradition or ritual behaviors. I wasn't sure where her husband, Bob, would land on the topic. And he doesn't walk so well anymore. He's, he's got some issues with balance and I was asking him about that and I knew that he was a swimmer and so I asked him about swimming as we were walking out there just a casual conversation right for him swimming is like almost a religious experience it's a ritual that he engages in uh, just a, not every day of the week but pretty close he goes down to the local community pool and he begins to swim laps so I asked him, thinking that was just something that he does to stay in shape um, because he's probably not a runner or he can't go for these long walks. And the way in which he told me and shared about the experience of swimming, uh, just a light bulb went off in my head and maybe it'll go off for you as well. He said, you know, when I enter into the water, think about this from an from a aspect of kind of the, from a ritual behavior. As he enters into the water and begins the work of swimming, at first it is work, right? It is sport. It is, um, you know, getting your body back into the rhythm of this ritual in the water, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then he says that at one point in that journey, through what is kind of the discipline of getting started, at some point in that journey, he enters into what he calls like a mull state. This, it's like another part of his consciousness or his mind takes over. And he becomes, in a sense, kind of disconnected from the physical behavior. And he moves into a different kind of mind state where he loses track of, of time. The, 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 the laps just pass by. And he exists in this state. It's like a meditative state almost, just through this action of ritual swimming, lap after lap, floating in the waters. Well, I mean, it sounds a lot like what you were just describing with swimming, Bob. I mm -hmm. mean, you were saying, if you don't mind repeating that again, when you go swimming, what happens to you? And it sounds a lot like what Joan is saying. You know, uh, for the first 500 yards, it's uh, really, concentrating on the stroke and you know you're swimming and and then it, somewhere along in there it goes a trance starts to come out and I'm doing it just uh, rote and uh, 200 yards goes pretty very quickly for another 200 yards I can do and the you don't feel I don't feel the breathing or windedness or anything like that um, until, I mean, when I get into this trance, then 
you know, I can think about what's going, I don't actively think about it. The mind seems to take over and guide me in, I go into a mulling state or something mm, like that's that. That's an interesting term. Yeah. I was going to ask, what is the state that you're it's, in and then what, what does that state either feel like to you or or what does it provide you? What are you gaining in that state, you think? The problem that I, whatever is the problem of the day is somehow resolved or I have insight into it or and, uh, maybe it's I don't need it to, to do anything, but uh, I mean, when I used to go swimming at lunch at work, uh, I'd go in and not know where I was going, what, what I was going to do, and I'd, my secretary would tell me to go s swimming, and uh, when I was mulling something, and, but it wouldn't sitting at the desk. It didn't work. Interesting. But if you get into the, If I get into the water and after about 500 yards, and then all of a sudden the whole curtain comes back. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And you said before too, kind of opens up a different area of your mind, or yeah. some. It, there's a different space that you become available for, or becomes available for you in that. Yeah. And my deep appreciation to both Bob and Joan for sharing their perspectives with me, and of course you. So I think there's a couple of questions before I uh, kind of think about what what might be important as we explore this idea of ritual. Um, and that is, you know, for you, wherever you are, right? Whether you're on this Facebook Live thing or whether you're in a soul forum, or whether you're not even paying any attention to this at all and you're just picking up these vibes in the universe, right? What is the the way in which you have capacity to open that window or that door. And, and I think the key here is, because there's a lot of ways to do it, right? So the key is this figuring out uh, how to uh, arrive in maybe what you might think of as an alternative narrative or a different mind space or um, uh, a certain kind of presence that feels as if it is kind of deep within its its soul connection and it's also not um, defined by what we collectively think of as the normative narratives of the day right it's 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 outside of that it's like going into the um the sweat lodge right you're moving into space out from which all the exterior influences that are on the outside of this membrane are not in that space. And so it, it, it allows you this opening, this, this capacity inside. Everybody should have this sense of what that is for them, I think. And then uh, how to practice within it and how to um, engage in it. For me, it'll probably continue to be uh, seeking after that which blows my mind and breaks my body down, although it's super easy to break my body down these days. Uh, but for the for the two people I met with who so lovingly shared their stories, right? One dives into pool, finds way into another mindset that is enriching. 
one longs for the experience. We don't have that capacity right now, but sort of longs for experience of the ritual of communion. And I bet if she went to a church where they were practicing communion, uh, it probably could be any church, but there's enough of the ritual behaviors in there that she could link again to the deep connection to family, deep sense of who she is, uh, feels restored, renewed, uh, enriched in a different way. Uh, and that is the soul's journey, right? To find that territory. How, have you found it? Uh, where is it for you? How's it working? How, how often do you get there? <laughs> uh, those are all some questions to think about. Let me finish with a, a little story and then just some summary work. I, I think even as young, you know, when we're young, there's something about us that really longs for this kind of a pattern of, of, um, of like repeating something again and again that we, you know, collectively call tradition or individually and collectively call tradition, uh, ritual. I'll give you an example. I've, I've been a grandpa now for, I don't know, almost 10 years, got three grandsons. And I will tell you that one of the experiences you have as a grandparent that I forgot about, frankly, and maybe even didn't pay attention to when I was a parent, was this, right? You're sitting down and um, you're reading a book with one of your grandkids. And, and it's a kind of a quiet moment, right? Heartbeats soften. There's this little kinesthetic slowdown, pages turn, there's pictures that are engaging your mind in a different kind of way, and then, and then a word, a narrative runs through the thing, and the kids can't read, right? So you're telling them this story. <laughs> it's great. And you go through the pages, and they're engaged in the storytelling and looking at the pictures, and sometimes you know, the story gets a little bit, and they have to go back and look a couple pages back and then catch back up with where they are, right? They're moving through this storyline. Then you get to the end of the story, you know, and you close the book. And you think that's it, you can put the book on the shelf, but no, you're not putting the book on the shelf. There's this pause that happens. This happens with every grandkid and maybe every grandchild in the world. And they look at you and they say, Grandpa, can you read that story again? But you just heard, I, I'm not, I didn't, I don't do this, but I'm thinking in my head, you just heard the story. I mean, I did a great job reading the story. I, I'm a storyteller. You know, what's, what's the, what did you miss? I don't know, but I got, they basically, they want to read it again. We start over and you'll know that they won't be done with that book that experience of that story until you've read it over and over and over and over again. You've created not just the narrative, but this ritual. In fact, I think they'll even have like a couple of books that are like their favorite books that we're going to read again and again. Maybe the one they read every night before bedtime, or there's a book that they connect to, and that is for them a, a ritual right, that allows them this kind of open space to be present with you and to be present with story, maybe to think about their own little lives. That's 
that's like inside of us, right? We have it deep in our DNA that we don't just want to hear the storyteller tell a story and go, oh, I got it, and we walk on. But that story can be created into this sense of uh, ritual, of pattern, of, of invitation. Maybe there is more to the story. And ritual, whatever your ritual might be, is one way of accessing that more. And that's the beauty of uh, the religious life or the spiritual life or the patterns that the couple I interviewed are engaged in, in the pool or in communion or me in the sweat lodge or at the retreat center or at the conference. All of those are ways in which we do that for ourselves and to hopefully create uh, some benefit for self and others along the way. How do we wrap this up? Number one, here's, here's what I got out of this conversation with a couple. Number one is just simply the trust, a confidence, a, a internal motivation that there is more. And the more is not always a solution, right? It's not always an answer. It just is the more, it's just there, right? And sometimes it's good to just live there. She said to me, I don't think I'm ever going to figure this out. In fact, she read a poem that day when I met with them from um, Thomas Merton that I can't really know the path. I don't even know if I'm on the right path. I'm just trusting that this capacity or, or desire to be connected in these ways, it creates something that is uh, uh, spiritual or holy, right? I don't, I don't really know that it is, but I'm trusting that it, you have to have the trust that literally the opening of the space is the, is the way in which you journey, right? It's not finding a solution. It's not designing the next stepping stone and then, you know, that's it, I know where I'm going and plonk, you drop in. It's, it's much more intuitive than that. And trusting that, trusting that and saying, you know, and it, it's a trust that builds resiliency and capacity for the now, right? Because it's not like you've got to accomplish anything. It's just there to partner with you in whatever's going on, right? If you're having health problems, if you're having relational problems with your partner or you know you're struggling with vocation those things aren't solutions they're just present for you as you engage in in the experience of life itself this stuff is is a partner uh, a beautiful partner along the way so that's number one have that have that trust um, the second one is to I think uh, fine-tune your your mechanics I don't know if that's a good, I'm somewhat mechanical, so I don't know why that term came in my head, but fine tune your mechanic. You know, what is the mechanism that you're using? It's not as if there's a right or wrong mechanism necessarily. Um, you know, I think, no, I don't think there is, right? It's what is the, what is this doorway that for you feels like it's um, like my entry place to that world? Um, I, I watch my own spouse. I think she has her patterns and I respect those and I honor those and I know she respects the ones that I participate in and and even knowing you know the patterns of the people that you care deeply about or watching the patterns in your own children and 
seeing, you know, what are the ways in which they're able to engage in this um, and just to be aware of them. In some ways, that is their, quote, religion, right? That is the way they harness this soul self to the experience of life. Uh, so kind of knowing their language or their methodology sometimes helps old people like me think, well, my kids don't go to church anymore. But I mean, church is just a thin, thin and thinning, ever thinning mechanism to get there. There's all sorts of ways to do that. But what is your way? Find your way. And then I think the last piece is um, learning to to cherish and and connect the wisdom or insight that you're getting in those experiences back into life itself, right? How how does it become a how does it have generative capacity in your life so that it's not just a break or a release, but it's a uh, ongoing conversation that allows you to slowly um, maybe make changes or make decisions or or follow new paths or or experience people in a different way. You know, how is it creating that kind of generative um, capacity in your life? I'll give you one quick example. Um, I took a class in college years ago on journaling and it followed a kind of a disciplined journaling process. And at first I thought it was just, you know, like, oh really, I gotta keep track of all this stuff. Um, you know, dream work and writing and creative work and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's all these layers of journaling, but holy mackerel, when I really was, you know, once you were into it deep, you realized how it had capacity of sort of marking your um, insights along this process and then revisiting them helped you sort of see things that you didn't see before. Uh, a way of maybe reading your own book over and over again because maybe there's more to you than meets the eye, right? Maybe there's more there. Are, are you finding that out? You know, are, you, are you slipping your way into the more that is a part of you? That is probably, you know, the gift of life you've been given? I, that's the question, right? That's the question. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Next week when we get together, I'm going to take some time to just sort of unpack what it might look like or feel like to think about grabbing that idea of ritual or tradition and then kind of upgrading it. What does it look like to integrate kind of those patterns of behavior into our present situation? I mean, how could we create rituals that are um, are helpful for us in our own time and place. So join us next week as I spend some time reflecting on the themes of this episode, but trying to expand them to think about how to uh, fully um, jump into ritual for our time. Catch you next week. This episode of Soul Forum has been brought to you by Storycatcher for iPhone, a fun and simple tool that helps you create shareable keepsake video stories. Be the documentarian in your circles. Find Storycatcher, spelt as all one word, on the Apple App Store. You may attend Soul Forum Live each Sunday morning at Creekside Commons in Lafayette, California. The 30-minute presentation is also live-streamed via YouTube and Facebook where people interact via the chat. After the live stream is complete, 
For those gathering in person, we then enter into a non-recorded group discussion on the day's topic. We'd love for you to join us for Soul Forum.